This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter and Leah Turner. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Good morning, Colleen. Good morning, Leah. Hi, this is the Horticulture Hangover. I didn't know that I was going to be having a wrestling match with my microphone right when it was time to go on. (laughs) Hello, microphone. Let's get working. I know it's early, but microphone, you got to do your job. So uh, I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. I'm Leah Scherner with Delta Dawn Gardens. And we're here to answer your questions about gardening. Yeah, this is the Horticulture Hangover Show, and you can call or text us at 512-836-0590 or 877-590-5525. Yeah, and Colleen, I've got a bunch to tell you about I know. Okay. Yeah. So what happened? A, you gave a, me a sneak preview. But I have a good thing that happened and a bad thing that happened this oh. week. And they're both going to be interesting to talk about. Okay. So the really cool thing that happened mm-hmm. was I went to Bracken Cave mm-hmm. to see the emergence of the largest known bat colony in the world, oh, which wow. is also one of the greatest congregations of mammals on earth. Amazing. 20 or 15 to 20 million. Oh my gosh. Most of them are Mexican free tailed bats that migrate up here from Mexico in the summer. And then they have babies. All the females are the ones that migrate north. And and right now is the time where the the babies are now juveniles. And so they're learning to fly. Mm. And they're kind of awkward. Um, But it's like huge cave the cave itself is five acres underground. oh whoa it's underground of, five acres yeah it's wow. outside of san antonio north of san antonio and um there's one opening so one of the docents there described it as like imagine like a football stadium you know that only has one exit you know and just how long it takes all those people to come out it was like that with these bats because Apparently, it takes two, three, four hours for them to all emerge. Like So wow. the viewing starts around sunset, and they start coming out, and they come out, and they come out. And we stayed for maybe an hour and a half, and then it got dark. But they just keep coming after that. But it's dark, and so you can't really see them. And so they're like, okay, this kind of ends when, when it gets dark here, and then you leave. But um, it was just really amazing. Um, you could wow. hear them flying because there were so many bats and they'd make this what they call a batnado they make this kind of vortex when they come out of the cave well start they start flying while they're in the cave and they fly in a circle and they fly in a circle and then they start coming out and they fly in a circle and they fly in a circle and they get higher and higher and then they go in this stream you know wow. it's like a river of bats if you've ever seen the congress bats they do that yeah. too they fly in a in a stream and you can see them, you know, streaming across the sky. It was just really cool. And oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The way that this cave is set up, it's almost like a little amphitheater. Mm. So like you there's a viewing area across from the mouth of the cave with little benches. And um once you know, 
you sp- you look at bats for an hour coming out of the cave. You kind of mm-hmm. stop seeing them a little bit. Mm. Then we started watching all the little critters that were coming out. Mm. You know, like so. First, we saw some skunks, and then oh. we saw an armadillo, and then we oh. saw like a raccoon. You know, and so it was like everyone was like, "Oh, look! Do you see that skunk?" And it just felt like we were watching like a play on the stage, you know, just like all these funny animals. And I didn't see a ringtail, but oh. um, it was just a beautiful, beautiful experience. And um, it's owned by Bat Conservation International. Mm. So if anybody wants to learn more about that, go to Bat Conservation International. I think it's like bci.org and check out Bracken Cave. Wow. Fabulous experience. Oh, that's so cool. I got to see it. That's really neat. Did they say why they fly in a vortex? Because it says something to do with they're not they're not like birds. Like their bodies aren't as good at like individually flying or something. Hmm. Like something to do with their like biology that they're kind of clumsy on their own, but if they can like create their own wind or something like it helps them fly so they have to fly like as a group wow which made me wonder like do they migrate that like i guess they migrate that way too i don't know that's one question i have like they don't individually migrate maybe maybe they were they were like geese they fly in a big group i never thought about that before about how they would fly to migrate yeah wow as i understand it both male and female ones fly south uh-huh. for the winter and the fall because some of the babies that are born uh-huh. in Texas are males. But then on the return, well, they go to Mexico, they mate, and then only the females return oh. when they're pregnant. And then they have their babies at Bracken Cave. And that's that's the annual thing and I think each bat has one pup oh and they somehow find each other wow in the millions oh my gosh I know isn't that cool that's amazing they're really cool creatures and they eat crop pests Mm -hmm. so these ones were going south um because we were in San Antonio so they were going I guess south to cropland somewhere I don't know mm. exactly where but when you watch them in Austin they fly east because mm-hmm. that's where the the closest like agriculture areas are here oh wow like, due east oh that's interesting one time I was driving over the Congress Avenue bridge in the morning I don't know what I was I had to get up super early to do something and uh, I saw them trying to get back in under oh. the bridge it was hilarious. They oh, really? were like, yeah, because they were so disorganized and like, yeah. or to me, from my, you know, I'm sure to them it made sense, but from my perspective, like they look so cool when they're coming out, but then when they go back in, it looks really funny. Oh, really? Yeah, they're just sort of flap all the flapping around. It's like a little chaotic. Oh, yeah, my gosh, yeah, yeah. It was really funny to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Congress? Bridge bats? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a okay. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to see accidentally the Round Rock brid- Bridge. There's a colony like under I 35. Oh. In Round Rock. I know. I and that. one time I was just driving somewhere at, and it happened to be at dusk and I was like, whoa, I didn't know they were there. So there's a, there's a little colony there too. 
And you yeah. saw the, you went to the Frio cave, right? Yeah, Where the there's Frio another cave. Mm-hmm. Hangout. Yeah, that was so incredible. It was really cool. Yeah, it was bewildering. I really want to go to Bracken. It was beautiful. Wow. Sounds so neat. Yeah. So that's my, that's my exciting story. Mm-hmm. Then there's a bummer okay. that happened. Um, what happened? Well, at a longtime client's house, um, a beautiful red oak tree mm. uh, split, um, multi-trunked Spanish oak tree, um, mm-hmm. red oak or Spanish oak split into two. Basically, one of the ba- one of the trunks just crashed, mm. um, fell. It, it is a really, really big tree. <laughs> um, I was just looking at pictures of it. I mean, I think laying down, mm. it was probably, you know, just laying down, it was probably 20 feet in the air, just just the crown of the tree. Like, it was so big. Um, I didn't get a, oh, a wow. measurement of, like, of how, of what the diameter was, but it was a very, very big tree, and um, it made a big mess. Mm. Um, and... Uh, it was just really sad um, because it had also changed the light pattern considerably. And my thought is that the reason that this happened is because the root flare of that tree had been buried mm. by soil and Asian jasmine vines mm-hmm. and stuff for probably 15, 20 years. Mm. And um, it just slowly decayed from within. Um the client was worried that it was just drought, and I think it's probably—I mean, drought probably doesn't help. Mm-hmm. But um, I really think it was a root rot situation, and that's the second time this year that something like that. And I've seen one of these Spanish oaks fall down mm-hmm. um, at a client's house, so I'm—I'm I'm feeling sad about that. Mm. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that. That's a big loss for you. And your client and changes all your, you know, mm-hmm. activities that you're going to do. And yeah, definitely having the uh, grade raised around the trunk of a tree can eventually either kill the tree or cause the tree to become structurally unsound for sure. So I'm all about making sure the root flares are clear. And it was leaning probably 45 degrees. It's always growing. Oh. It's always grown that in, at an angle. Okay. Um, what do you think about... Oh, yeah. oh okay. Well, let's just, let's just get the call after okay. the break. But I wanted to All ask right, you yeah. about the, um, the red oaks in general. Yeah. The Spanish oaks. I keep using those interchangeably. But I wanted well, to hear your take on that. This, yeah, the re- what oh, we yeah. refer to is... Texas Red Oaks. Yeah, Texas Red Oaks. And Steve, we see you from Leander, and we're going to get you after the break because we're just running right up onto the break right now. So please hang on, Steve. Um, You know, they do tend to be multi-trunked. So in that case, with the Spanish Oak or Texas Red Oak, um, because they tend to be multi-trunked, those trunks will grow in diameter every year and they will push against each other 
as they age mm-hmm. and all of the weight because of the way they grow all the weight of the branches is only out in one direction yeah. and they sort of lean away from each other too mm-hmm. so all the weight is you know angled out cantilevered out and um, because of that they have a hard time holding themselves up as they age so they do have a tendency to fall apart as they age mm-hmm. and then they grow back again mm-hmm. and then grow back multiple trunks and they just go through that cycle so that's really normal for our texas red oaks um, mm. some occasionally you'll see a single trunked one and they're wonderful mm. um, but for the most part they tend to be multi-trunked and and that's an issue for them as they get old and um, it's something to you know monitor and keep an eye on um, and yeah and I'm I feel like sometimes people don't believe me about the root crown mm-hmm. clearing the the f- root flare like it can take years and years but it will kill the tree eventually so all right it's time for a break cool this is horticulture hangover with colleen dieter and leah Turner. call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590 mm. yeah we're back good morning everyone I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. And I'm Leah Cherner with Delta Dawn Gardens. And we've got Steve on the, la- on the line from Leander with a question about watering trees. Good morning, Steve. Thanks for waiting. Hey, sir. Um, so I heard you talking about <clears throat> several weeks ago how much to water a tree. Mm-hmm. And so I went out and measured my trees, like you <coughs> said. Oh. So I've got a big, I've got a big uh, old live oak. So it's twenty inches in diameter, <laughs> which mm. means that, <coughs> according to what you said, I need to give it two hundred gallons mm. <coughs> of water <laughs> a week. <laughs> Is that right? No, really, those. You know, calculations that we talk about for um, measuring a tree or and, and how much to water it, it has to do with newly planted trees. So if it's okay. a if it's a old tree is well established, you know, um, yep. Yep. then it's it's really hard, you know, to know how much water they need because their roots are growing out in every different direction. And yep. I wish we had x-ray vision. I wish I had x-ray vision so that I could see where the roots end because that's where you need to put the water, you know. So if you can water them at the end of the drip line, like at the ends of the branches, just give them a really good soaking. That will help them through this hard time. Um, The Texas A&M Forest Service has really good videos on YouTube about how to water trees. Texas A&M Forest Service? Yes. The Texas A&M Forest okay. Service has a really good really good YouTube videos about how to water trees when there's a really bad drought like the one we're going through right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and then I have another question. Of course, I'll go there. I have another question about watering this tree. Uh, it's when they built this development, they raised up the ground. Mm-hmm. So they put a they put a retaining wall around this tree so it's 
down in this well that's about five feet in diameter with a retaining wall that goes out about five feet from the trunk. Mm. So it's about a, a foot below all the other ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so should I be watering inside of that well or do the roots outside of that well actually if I water outside of the well, you know, you said that the roots, I mean, the drip line is way outside of that well. Mm-hmm. Um, if I water outside of the well and let it run a long time, will the water soak down enough to actually get to the roots? Hard to say. And at okay. least at least they built the well. Um, what were you going to say, Leah? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm just curious oh, to see like, what your answer is, she's Colleen. She's uh, aghast with... No, I'm interested. Uh, yeah, okay, good. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's just a really tricky situation. Um, it's hard to say if that water is going to reach that far down to get to those roots. Um, but, um, it could be that the tree has, is trying to grow new roots, um, further out away from (laughs) where it's been buried and had the grade yep. raised around it. And so um, yep. it's just really hard to know, you know, what to do in that situation. It's a really tough situation. And um, okay. I think I would still, if you're able to water, I think I still would try. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's a tough situation. I think I would still try if I were you. Yeah, I mean, I can always give it some water outside of that well and right on yeah. the inside inside of that well but away from the trunk away you said from it's the trunk the water the trees right at the trunk yeah yeah it's not yeah i i would focus on outside of the well is oh, what i would do right. mm-hmm, focus on that yeah i think that will be the best use of your time all right thanks a lot okay you're welcome steve thank you for your call that was a great question colleen it really was. Yeah, I mean, because I, I always wonder, like, if you have a tree that has, you know, someone's built a well around it to keep the root flare from getting buried, do those roots that are now, there's been a change of grade, do those mm-hmm. roots go up? Like, do they start growing up towards the surface or do they grow out way down below? Like, what do they do? I don't know. I think they continue to grow out, but I don't know for sure if they're able to grow up or not. Um and yet it's not a good situation to have the grade changed around a tree like that. It really inhibits their ability to absorb nutrients and water. And they really need air. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that folks don't realize is that they breathe through their roots partly. They breathe through all their parts. And they need air at their roots too. And um, when they get buried like that, it inhibits their ability to get air so they can adapt, you know, but it happens really slowly. Um, and in the meantime, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But I would think it's still better if you're going to change the grade. It's better to not be bearing the root Absolutely. Flare. You know, I feel Absolutely. like that's a caveat we should make, yes. Colleen. Yes, for sure. I think in that situation, it's good that they at least built a well around the the root flare so that they're not just burying the root flare because burying the root flare will kill the tree. It will take a long time in the case of an oak, but it will kill it eventually. So I think that's really important. And um, 
We're about to go to a break. This is Colleen Dieter. I'm Leah Cherner. And Courtney in Round Rock is on the line and we'll get to you after the half hour break. Bye. Bye bye. Thanks. Welcome to the Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Here are your hosts, Colleen Dieter and Leah Turner. Good morning. Hey, good morning, y'all. This Hi, is, hey, that's Leah Turner sitting across from me with Delta Dawn Gardens. Yes, that's me. And across from me is Colleen Dieter with ATX Gardens. Thank you. Um, and this is the Horticulture Hangover. And we have Courtney in Round Rock on the phone with a question about grass, it sounds like. Hi, Courtney. Thanks for waiting. Hey, ladies. Thanks for having me. Hello. What's your... Um, so, my question, my, my husband and I are wanting to convert our backyard into the no-mow um, lawn, kind of a prairie idea. Okay. And right now, it's kind of a mix of Bermuda grass, KR blue stem, and a random assortment of some broadleaf leaves, I guess, clover, stuff like that. Okay. Um... What would you, what process would you recommend to converting to that sort of no-mo experiment and like and what plants to put back there? That is a good question. Great question. And it, um, it might be a multi-step process, mm-hmm. but I think one thing is if you're, and let's see what Colleen thinks about this, but Ooh. if you're willing to be patient, I think maybe if you stop mowing altogether, mm-hmm. that might be a first step. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Because um, in my experience, I feel like the KR responds to mowing really well, and um, it—I uh, don't know. I—it's just a theory that I have that if maybe if you don't mow the KR, it uh, it can fight it back. But I don't know if that's true. And same thing with Bermuda. What do you think, Colleen? Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, with Bermuda, if you stop mowing it, it doesn't seem to grow as much it doesn't grow as aggressively horizontally um and i have a question for you courtney do you have any trees in the area there are a couple of peach trees in one spot and then a, a very small pecan tree it's maybe eight inches in diameter okay and in the so the front of the yard drains towards the back, and it's got a septic field in it. And then the back stuff doesn't really grow well there, and it's that blackland clay. So, like, right now in the summertime, we've got big cracks in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking I probably need to put something out there. We need some ground cover of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be nice if it would look have some interest at the different seasons as well. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I would do is... Um, I would put out a native meadow or native prairie mix from like Native American seed Mm -hmm. and, you know, really like seed the crap out of it, you know, put a lot on there Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um, give it some water. I would plant that like in the fall and give it some water. It sounds like you might have a kind of a big area. Is that right? Yeah, it's um, maybe a quarter acre back there. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it's sunny if it's, yeah, it's probably sunny. Pretty much all sun. Great. Yeah, I mean, 
I really, I don't think that I would try doing like a solarization or like a sheet mulching like in this situation because these grasses that you have are very, very aggressive and they are going to be hard to beat back using those methods. So I would say um, overseeding, maybe mow twice a year mm -hmm. and um, it's going to look kind of bad for a little while. Mm -hmm. Okay. But eventually those natives will start moving in and crowding out the exotic plants that you don't want, like the KR and the Bermuda. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think that's the path of least resistance. It's going to be chaotic at first, but I think you could get it going <laughs> later. And one okay, thing with the overseeding, oh. do I just kind of put it out there? Or do I rake it in? What's the... Sure. Yeah, both. I mean, you could you could broadcast it out there and just step on them. Yeah. Step on it really well and then water it really well is a good method to do that, like in October. Yeah. And yeah. I like to rake the ground first yeah. with a heavy, like a, a soil rake uh, to rough it up a little bit and expose some of the uh, soil so that you're sure mm -hmm. you're putting the seed on the soil and the seeds aren't sitting on the thatch, uh, like mm. the dead grass, you know, dead stuff. Uh, and I also really like to mix the seeds with a bag of compost and a bag of decomposed granite. So that way it kind of like uh, dilutes the seed in a way so that you're spreading it more evenly because the seeds are so small, you can end up putting like a lot of seed just in one spot. And when you're trying to spread over a larger area, it helps to kind of have it like mixed with another material to make it go further. And that also helps it kind of stick on the ground so it doesn't wash away. So, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So I think um, you'll be off to a good start with that. Yeah, and read up on pocket prairies. There's so yeah. much good stuff out there right now, and it's so fascinating what, what people are doing with pocket prairies, and mm -hmm. it sounds like that's what you've got started, and that's really exciting. Yeah, and we have a, our Horticulturati podcast. We have an episode about um, pocket prairies, so, so look for our Horticulturati podcast, too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I listened to that episode and that's why I was kind oh, of going with yay. <laughs> that's and then great. One more th one more thing I want to add about that is that, you know, while you've got that kind of awkward phase, you know, it's kind of like growing your hair out, you know, it's like when it looks <laughs> kind of bad. Uh -huh. Like one thing that I might recommend doing is um, maybe there's a portion that you kind of around the perimeter or somewhere where it's more visible where you do maybe mow it and manage it a little bit more just to kind of mm. give it um, give it cues to make it look like something's intentionally going on there, you mm -hmm. know, like, or maybe you mow a pathway <laughs> through it or something mm -hmm. like that. And that can help, like, deal with the, the awkward phase if you just kind of mm -hmm. manicure one little bit of it and, and leave the rest wild. Yeah. That's okay. what I would do. That's a great suggestion. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you all very much. You're welcome, Courtney. Thanks for listening. And thanks for listening to the podcast, too. Yeah. Okay. Have a great day. Cool. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, it's such a challenging thing to try to get a prairie started. It's It requires so much care and attention and, and it's sort of a weird lack of intervention in some ways to not touch it can be harder. 
Yeah, I really want to ask Jeff this question about the, the KR blue stem because, I don't know, in my anecdotal evidence, places where it's not mowed, you see the native grasses, you don't see the KR. The places mm-hmm. that are intensively mowed, you see the KR. So, mm-hmm. just one person's opinion. I mean, I, that makes sense because they brought, they, made, they brought KR for the cattle to graze. So, it makes sense. But we got to go to a break. See y'all after the break. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter and <coughs> Leah Turner. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. All right, we're back. Hey, y'all. This is the Horticulture Hangover. I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. And I'm Leah Turner. With Delta Dawn Gardens. And Colleen, we have another grass question. Okay. Someone said, Johnson grass is slowly taking over our place. Organically, can we get rid of it? Mm. I'm sorry that that's happening to you. That is very frustrating. This is Mm -hmm. a very, very hard to eradicate grass, Johnson Mm -hmm. grass, because it has these rhizomes Mm. that are under the soil and so say you were to like till it up or something you could just be cutting those rhizomes up into a gazillion little plants yeah and each of them could sprout mm-hmm. um i don't i would say that there is probably not a way to organically get rid of johnson grass i think that you might have to do some herbicide applications but i would not want to do them around you know, a step, you know, around trees, if you can avoid yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, digging it out is an option, but that's going to be Elbow that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the organic way of doing it, is digging it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, what do you think, Colleen? I think uh, it depends how big an area it is and what you're trying to accomplish, you know. And I think in addition to digging, I, I like to use a digging fork for that. Uh, specific, specifically, I feel like a digging fork is a really good tool for getting Johnson grass out. Uh, if you can dig some of it. The other thing is interrupting its life cycle. So, so making sure you cut the top of the plant off before it goes to seed. Yeah, and they'll, yeah they'll be going to seed here in the fall. So um, cutting the tops of the plants off before they bloom and go to seed is a really, really important step. Even if you can't uh, dig them all out and even if you can't uh, poison all of them, um, that's really important way to help control them. And then planting things in their place where they were too. Don't leave bare ground. Don't leave any bare ground. Make sure you're planting stuff or keeping the ground covered with mulch. Uh, a thick layer of mulch could help. So, yep. Good luck. That's such a tough one. Yeah. I hope and take it one small area at a time. Don't get overwhelmed trying to do the everything at once. Mm-hmm. We got. We have another time for another text. Yeah. So someone wrote that their flame acanthus blooms are fading. Mm. Any way to encourage rebloom? Mm-hmm. I would say that that is normal. That mm-hmm. they're fading right now. They're just getting a little tired. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it might be a good idea to give them a little trim right now. Maybe mm-hmm. just cut back the top third mm-hmm. and let it bush back out. It'll bloom in the fall. And what do you think, Colleen? I completely agree, Leah. I, that's great advice. And um, they'll they'll start blooming again if we get a tropical storm or some sea breeze showers here in September. But it's normal for them to take a break in the summer. Let's do one more. Okay. Um, so... Camille wrote, I heard your episode about cutting back some perennials now in July. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what about Greg Mistflower? It's blooming a bit now, and I know it blooms in the fall. There are butterflies on it daily, and I feel bad cutting it back, but it's getting a bit long and messy looking. Colleen, you're shaking your head. I don't cut it back uh, in the summer. Uh, I guess the exception is if it's really long and messy looking, you know. You could trim like a part of it to try to keep it a little more compact. Um, but yeah, I generally avoid trimming it at this time of year. Yeah, and it'll it'll bloom probably October, September, October. Yeah. What do you think, Colleen? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually the the white mist flower, the fragrant mist flower, will bloom in November. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one, the viburnum mm-hmm. leaf mist flower mm-hmm. that I know Barton, Barton Creek, sorry, Barton Springs Nursery mm-hmm. sells. Um, that that one blooms in December, which mm-hmm. is really cool to have mm-hmm. to have those 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 eupatoriums going for you mm-hmm. uh, long term. So yeah, yeah, don't cut it back. Mm-hmm. Just wait. You can cut it yeah. back in the spring if it's really driving you crazy. You could do just like a few stems, you know. But generally, it's not something that I do. Yeah. What do you think, Leah? Well, I think we're coming up on a break, but I'm going to text Jeff uh, with my question in the next hour okay. about KR Blue Stem. Cool. Okay. I think he'll be glad to hear from us. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Leah Turner. And I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. And we will see you next week. Mm-hmm. Thanks, y'all. Bye.